'twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was screaming, not even a spouse. The convicted were hung from the chimney with care, in hopes that old Deadhead would have a story to share. The cadavers were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of the damned danced in their heads. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my coffin to see what's the matter. When what to my wondering eyes did I see but a corpse of a man dancing with glee. With wicked dark eyes toward me did he tread. I knew in a moment he must be deadhead. His eyes how they rotted, his fangs how scary. His breath smelled like cobwebs, his body unburied. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. He was ghastly and rude and covered in filth, and I screamed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon let me know I had something to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and showed me a book of stories as he gave me a smirk. I knew my time was over, for he began to murmur, your stories lie just ahead, and I can take you no further. As I left, he exclaimed when his fire took light. A scary Christmas to all, and to all a good fright. <laughs> So glad you could make it to my very scary Christmas celebration. I hear Joe's already greeted you with his Yuletide poem, The Fright Before Christmas. Well, if that doesn't get you in the spirit, tonight's five stories will. First up, a chilling tale about a happy soul with a corncob pipe, a carrot nose, and two eyes made out of coal. <laughs> I call this one Frosty and the Snowman. December of 1999 was when holiday season became something much darker for me. It was the week before Christmas, so all the neighborhood kids and I were on vacation. A group of us were in a snowball fight when Frosty walked up. His real name was Franklin, but we all called him Frosty because of his attitude. He liked the name. Every neighborhood has that one kid. You know, the one that everyone knows is a problem. Well, that kid was my older brother, Frosty. Mom and Dad did the best 
but he was just different, mean. Sure, he'd beat kids up, but his favorite thing to do was mess with their heads. He was 15 at the time. I was seven. Anyway, as Frosty walked up to the group, he caught a snowball to the face. Everyone who saw it happen froze. Frosty slowly wiped the snow from his mouth and stared, furious. I thought for sure he was going to punch somebody. Instead, he launched into a story about an evil hunter who died in the woods behind our neighborhood 100 years before. The hunter had a cabin just outside town. He was said to build snowmen with local children. At first, the town's people thought of him as a sweet old man, but then the children started disappearing. The town's people caught on but had no real proof. Finally, a group of fathers took matters into their own hands and took the old man into the woods for a hunting trip. The old man was never seen again. According to Frosty, the angry soul of that hunter would never rest until all the children in this town were dead. How does he kill them? I asked. From the first snowfall of winter till the last, the ghost of the hunter will possess every snowman a child builds, lure them into the cold, and stab them to death with his frozen carrot nose. I knew what he was doing, and it made me mad. I was sick of him. I yelled out, we're not stupid, you're lying. We had built a snowman earlier that day, and he knew it. Frosty pointed in the direction of our lawn where my lopsided snowman sat. He yelled, you're stupid, you built that thing, you invited him here. He said it with such conviction, I almost believed him. At this point, one of the younger kids started crying and ran home. The fun was clearly over. I took off to tell my parents. That night, I laid in bed thinking of the ghost story. I knew my brother had lied, but I was just a kid. The idea freaked me out. Then I heard Frosty's door open. His room was right next to mine. I thought he was going to come in and scare me, or worse. Instead, I heard him walk down the stairs and out the front door. I peeked through my window and saw him jog across the lawn toward my snowman. It was lightly snowing and really dark, but I could see Frosty with a bunch of stuff in his hands. For some reason, he froze halfway across the lawn. I swear he sensed me watching him. He just turned and stared at my window. I ducked down and crawled back to bed. I was afraid he had seen me and of what he would do when he came back. I pulled the blankets up over my head and lay there with my heart racing, just waiting. But I never heard him come back, and eventually, I just fell asleep. The next day, he didn't come down for breakfast. It was 8.30 in the morning when Dad was headed out to go to work. I heard my dad yell, Frosty! Then he sprinted out onto the cold. Frosty was face down next to the snowman. Next thing I knew, the front of our house was surrounded by flashing lights and yellow tape. Frosty had been carrying his hunting gear out to the snowman. If I had to guess, he was going to dress the snowman up like a hunter to get me and the other kids worked up. The coroner said he had slipped on some ice and fallen on his own hunting knife. It had pierced his diaphragm and lung, making it impossible for him to yell out for help. He had bled out in the snow at the foot of my snowman just two days before Christmas.
Of course, all the neighbors heard what happened. The kids all said it was the hunter. To this day, people in the neighborhood still tell Frosty's story around this time of year. And Frosty gets to scare a whole new generation of kids. Hmm. How does that poem end? Frosty the snowman had to hurry on his way. But he waved goodbye saying, don't you cry, I'll be back again someday. <laughs> I guess Frosty came back after all. If it's snowing at your house, you better take a look around the property. We'll take a break so you can check. So, was he out there? I hope not. I'd hate for you to die and miss our next tale. It explains how Santa knows who's been naughty and who's been nice in a story I call Elf Off the Shelf. A few years back, I received a package. It arrived two days before my first Christmas away from home. There was no card or return address. I figured it was something my parents sent. That thought didn't last long, because when I opened it up, I found an antique elf doll that had definitely seen better days. The porcelain of its face was cracked and discolored. There were chunks missing from the scalp, as if someone had bashed it against a wall. Its green suit was faded almost to a gray, and it seemed to have soot rubbed into parts of it. I had no idea how old it was, but it was definitely old. There was a note pinned to its coat. It read, Want to stop the fun when your turn is done? Send me home with a new someone. I was starting to think this was a joke and called my roommate Terry over. She cringed at it and told me to chuck it. Neither one of us had a clue who would send something like that. I decided to leave the thing on the back porch next to the trash. I would deal with it when I took the garbage out to the curb. Later that day, back home after some last-minute shopping, I put my bags down and noticed the elf sitting on the kitchen table. At first it scared me. Then I laughed at myself. Terry must have put it there. Haha, <laughs> very funny, I said. I grabbed the doll and walked over to Terry's room. She wasn't there, so I set it on her dresser. Two could play at this game. I needed to wrap the new gifts I bought, and all the extra gift wrap was in the basement closet, so that was my next stop. I was only down there a few moments when I heard movement upstairs. I listened for a second. I figured Terry was back. I shook it off and grabbed what I needed and headed back up the stairs. That's when I noticed the basement door was shut. Odd, because I definitely left it open. As I pulled back the handle, I realized the door was jammed. I heard shuffling on the other side. I called to Terry for help. Nothing. That's when the first waves of panic hit me. I called a couple more times. Still nothing. I was starting to get freaked out. I yanked back on the door with all my body weight. Just at that moment, the door popped open and I nearly fell down the staircase. I half charged into the kitchen with my heart racing, only to see the elf propped up on the kitchen table again. I called out to Terry. This wasn't funny anymore. But yet again, nothing. I looked all over the house for Terry. I even checked for her car out front. She really wasn't home. I started feeling uneasy. I grabbed my phone and texted Terry. She got back to me almost immediately. 
she was seeing this guy and would be staying at his place that night. I grabbed the elf and shoved him into the kitchen garbage and slammed the lid. This was getting too weird. I didn't head to bed until around midnight. I couldn't explain what had happened and I couldn't shake this uneasy feeling. I decided to have a glass of wine to relax before I laid down. As I walked in my room, I spotted something on my bed. My heart stopped and I spilled my wine. It was the goddamn elf, propped up neatly on my pillow. I screamed out, this isn't funny. I called for Terry thinking she had to be messing with me. Nothing. I searched the house again. No one was there, unless they were hiding. I crossed my room to grab the doll when I saw the vanity mirror. The words Merry Christmas jaggedly scratched into the glass. I was shaking when I grabbed the doll off my bed. Just then the lights in my room turned off. Ouch! The pin from the elf's creepy note had pricked my palm. As my hand began to bleed, I looked down and reread the note. Want to stop the fun when your turn is done? I had to find this thing a home. I rushed back out, grabbed the box that had come in, ran back to my present wrapping mess and taped up that box with the elf inside. Then I jumped into my car and just drove. I ended up in an area I didn't know, picked a random home and threw the box out my window onto the lawn in front of the doorstep. I felt horrible and relieved as I drove away. It was the worst gift I had ever given, but I never asked for that elf in the first place. As a little Christmas treat, I've put an elf in one of you lucky listeners' homes. It might be hidden in your closet, under your bed, or behind your shower curtain. No need to look for it, though. It will find you. <laughs> Let's see who survives the next break, shall we? Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hmm, you're all accounted for. Oh well, not for long. In the meantime, let's hear another story. The next one follows George, a guy who's down on his luck and thinking about ending it all when his guardian angel swoops down to save him. Also, he thinks, and it's a wonderful death. I was on my way back from Nick's bar. Needed a few drinks to get my head on straight before I headed home for Christmas Eve. I stopped along a bridge and looked out over the rail. I tried to guess if the drop would kill me or the freezing water below. <laughs> I wasn't going to do it. 
though who could blame me after the cruddy life I had? Chunks of ice floated downriver. They seemed so peaceful. I imagined myself as one of those chunks of ice sleeping in the river for all eternity. But that's when he stepped out of the darkness. What are you doing, George? He asked. Contemplating a swim, I think. No, don't do that. You've got all that money now. How do you know about that? I asked. The dark figure wore a hat and coat. I couldn't make out his face, but there was there was something familiar about him. I know about lots of things, George. I know you killed your brother Harry. Come on, no, no, Harry shot down all those planes in the war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. No, he didn't, George. He never got the chance. The two of you fought next to the frozen lake over who would sled next. You hit him in the head with a shovel. He was crying so loud you pushed him into the broken ice. They never found his body. And you told everyone it was an accident. No, no, it's not true. <laughs> not true. Oh, and I suppose you didn't poison the Blaine boy. Of course I didn't, you goddamn liar. Liar? When you worked for Mr. Gower, the druggist, you replaced the diphtheria medication with poison. You killed that boy and destroyed the family, George. You remember? Mr. Gower was sent to prison. No, no, I, I saved them. Although I couldn't quite remember. But I, I'm, I'm sure I did. Mr. Gower had just received word his son had died of influenza. He was upset, drunk. He put the wrong pills in the bottle, but I noticed. I never took them to the Blaine's house. I saved that boy. I think. Sure, George. And you didn't just embezzle $8,000. Well, now that I did do. What are the filthy rats of this town going to do with it anyway? I've been stuck here my whole life and never made it out because of them. That's all I ever wanted to do was get out of Bedford Falls, but old George, he sticks around. He's the town doormat after all. Look, you don't have to tell me, George. You did good. You're finally looking out for number one. That's right, number one, I agreed. It's too bad Uncle Billy is sticking his nose where it doesn't belong. <laughs> Poor Uncle Billy, the old coot. You must admit the cunning with which you operate, George. You've destroyed so many lives. And here you walk free, with a heavy purse to boot. That's real talent. Don't go soft and throw all that off a bridge now. He had a point. I thought about what I'd gotten away with in this podunk town of Bedford Falls. Imagine what I could do in a place like Chicago, New York, London. That's it, George. That's it, he said as if reading my thoughts. Come down from the ledge and let's get to figuring out what your next move is. I got $8,000 in my pocket. I could just drive off and kiss Bedford Falls goodbye. But your uncle? Again, as of reading my thoughts. He was right, though. Uncle Billy was the only one who suspected anything. And if I go missing, my wife will have the police looking all over the state for me. What, what we, we need, need is, is a, a body. body. We both said it at the same time. But who? He asked. But I already had that figured, and he knew it. I'll take Uncle Billy out for a drink. The old lush won't take long before he's out cold. I'll put my clothes and ID on him, tie him up in my car, send them off the road, and light the whole thing on fire. I'll go back to Billy's, fill a suitcase up, make it look like he left in a hurry. When they discover the money missing, they'll think old Billy ran off with it and did me in to get rid of any loose ends. 
Nobody would suspect old Hee Haw George had anything to do with it. As I wondered aloud, the dark figure began to clap his hands together in approval. He walked toward me and stepped into the streetlight. I could see him clearly now, but I had recognized him long before. It was him. It was always him. He was always there, my whole life. It was me, my dark side. I tipped him my hat, and I walked off to pay Uncle Billy a visit. If I remember correctly, Uncle Billy's the kind of guy who ties string around his fingers to remember things. Wonder how he'll do tied to a burning wreck. <laughs> Don't hang yourself on the mistletoe just yet, cadavers. More stories after this. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. hear the one about a nice old man who claims to be Kris Kringle and is institutionalized as insane, only to be saved by a lawyer who argues that Chris is the real thing. Yes? Well, this isn't that. This is The Maniac on 34th Street. After my parents divorced, my mom moved me and my little brother Todd to an apartment a couple towns over. I was 14. It was around Christmas time when we started seeing these flyers pop up on mailboxes and telephone poles. They were printed on bright green paper and said, Santa Claus is coming to town. It listed street names and times and dates when you could go meet Santa. Christmas would never be the same again. My little brother Todd was super excited. He was like eight and a bit of a geek, but always smiled under his huge glasses. When the night of Santa's visit came, the three of us waited out in the cold along with a few other neighbors to see if Santa would arrive. Some of the parents were drinking beer and talking while the kids were playing in the street. I was bored and about to go inside when I heard loud music coming toward us. Everyone turned around to see a giant Santa sleigh coming down the street. We saw the glowing lights first. The float was a Christmas scene. Santa's sleigh perched on top of a snowy roof complete with a smoking chimney. The sleigh was bright red with miniature plastic reindeer attached to it. They were strung up on wires so they looked like they were flying. The one in front had a glowing red nose, of course. Off of Santa's left was a plastic Christmas tree and a slide that went down to the street. The entire tacky scene was carried by a flatbed truck whose driver's side door said, Lose Towing. The driver was a skinny old lady wearing a red flannel and a trucker's hat, smoking a cigarette. 
Mrs. Claus, I guess. Santa was short and very fat. His ruddy face hidden by bad makeup and a cheesy white cotton beard. His suit was made out of cheap mismatched red clothes rimmed with dingy yellow fur. The kids were screaming with excitement. We got in line close to the back. I thought the whole thing was extremely lame, but Todd had this big goofy smile on his face. He was so excited he couldn't contain himself. I liked seeing him so happy, so I stayed. I watched as the neighborhood kids one by one sat on Santa's lap. He asked if they had been naughty or nice, then asked what they wanted for Christmas. He said they better be good, then sent them down the slide to the street. Crappy Christmas music blaring from the cab of the tow truck's blown out speakers. Then I noticed one kid go up whose parents weren't with him. We lived in a poorer area and a lot of the kids' parents worked nights. The boy wore a bright red hoodie with Taz from Looney Tunes on it. The kids sat on Santa's lap and Santa did the usual spiel. Then instead of going down the slide, Santa said, you're a special little boy. I want you to come live with me and my elves. Then Santa dropped the kid down the oversized chimney with a puff of black smoke. Ho, 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 he said, and the next kid came up. Nobody seemed to notice or care, but I thought it was kind of weird. I waited to see if the kid came back around, but he didn't. Maybe he just walked off the back of the truck and went home, I thought. The line slowly moved forward and a few more kids went up and did their thing. Then a little girl with a French braid, who was also alone, was put down the chimney too. Again, I waited to see if she came out, but I never saw her again. I mentioned it to my mom. She just said, oh, Kelly, don't ruin this for your brother. You always have such stupid ideas. I would have went back to the apartment, but my mom was flirting with a group of young guys and Todd needed at least one person to look out for him. The closer we got to Santa, the creepier he got. There was this odd burnt smell like barbecue masked with candy cane air fresheners. His black, greasy hair was falling out from under his white wig. He wasn't old. He actually looked closer to my mom's age, but the worst part was his eyes. His eyes were dark, and though he laughed and said Merry Christmas, they were filled with evil. I had enough. I didn't like any of this. I was going to get Todd out of there, and we were going to go home. I grabbed his arm and started to walk out of the line, but Todd began to cry. Wait, what? No, no, please, Kelly, please. My mom grabbed me by the shoulder and asked, where the hell do you think you're going? You're taking your brother up there. It's fucking Christmas for Christ's sake. She shook me and then said, I'm going to grab a drink with my friends in Pete's garage. You stay here with your brother. I was stunned. Wait, you're leaving? Who's Pete? She turned away and went off with Mr. Right now. That's when I heard him. You're next. Ho, ho, ho. Santa smiled as he watched my mom walk down the street with that group of guys. Todd wiped the tears from his eyes and that goofy smile quickly came back. The neighbors had been watching us fight. I was embarrassed and without thinking, I walked up onto stage with him. One at a time, please, young lady, Santa said with a grin. I'm coming with him, I said. One at a time, kid. I grabbed onto Todd's shoulders and promised myself I would never let go. Tisk, 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 little girl, you'll go on my naughty list. Santa spread his legs and rubbed both of his fat knees. I got room for both of you. Hell no, I thought. We'll stand. There was laughter from the crowd. Somebody called me a bitch. 
Have it your way, he said. He asked Todd what he wanted and asked if he had been good. Todd didn't seem to notice anything strange. He just laughed and giggled and gave Santa a long wish list. I looked over the crowd. People were pointing and laughing at us, entertained by the show. That's when I saw the boy with the red Taz hoodie and the little girl with the French braid. They were just running around a lamppost playing with some other kids. Shit, I thought. I'm so stupid. Okay, down the slide. Ho, ho, ho. And Todd went laughing down to the street. I was just about to step off the float when, Hold on, Ebenezer, Santa said. I want you to go down this way. I have a special exit for naughty little girls. He grabbed my wrist and pointed to the chimney. Go fuck yourself, Santa. I went to walk off, but he held tight onto my wrist. Are there any elves in the audience that can help me with this bad little girl? Two drunk dads came up laughing and grabbed me by my legs and arms and lifted me up. One whispered in my ear, Come on, sweetheart, it's just for a laugh. I saw Todd in the audience. He was nervously laughing along with everyone else. They held me over the chimney. I I could really smell that gross charred barbecue stink. Everything in me said, Don't let him drop you in. I fought and screamed with everything I could, and finally the dads put me down. Furious, I kicked over the chimney. It fell to the street, revealing the inner workings of the chimney. Two chutes were inside. One led to the street. The other, to a tiny oven where a small charred skeleton hand reached out. Ouch! Poor kids. Now they know he wasn't the real Santa. What a burn! <laughs> that reminds me. I think I left some chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Don't go anywhere, cadavers. There's one last tale for the evening. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence. Hark! Do you hear that, cadavers? Our guest of horror has finally made it. Who doesn't love that giant jolly fella, right? His blood-red clothes, his haunting laughter, those cloven feet and massive horns. (laughs) Wait, who did you think I was talking about? No, 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 our final tale is about the Krampus that stole Christmas. When I was a kid, I loved Christmas. I mean, presents, sure, but the music, the food, the lights. When it's Christmas time and you're a kid, everything is magical. And the most magic of all was that jolly old red elf, Santa Claus. When I was 11, I knew the Tooth Fairy, Easter Bunny, and Boogeyman were all just made-up kid stories, but Santa was real. I got it wrong, though. The Boogeyman is real, too. Against my little sister's wishes, I was going to stay up on Christmas Eve and sneak downstairs to see Santa for myself. I had been preparing all Christmas break. My backpack was full of supplies, and I had scouted the perfect position, a corner of the living room where I could see both the fireplace, decked out with a generous helping of milk and cookies, of course, and a clear view of the night sky from the front window. 
right above that jerk Mark Mortensen's house. If anybody was on the naughty list, it was him. More on that later. After our parents tucked us in, my plan went into action. I grabbed my backpack from under my bed and crept downstairs. I got into position and set up my surveillance station, complete with a thermos of hot chocolate. I dug in for a long night. I had some time to think in the dead silence of the dark living room. I knew what I was doing was against the rules, but if Santa was real, I'd be trading all of my presents for coal. Was trying to catch a sneak peek of Santa going to put me on the naughty list at the last possible minute? That's when I heard something heavy land on the roof, and then the clacking of hooves. Rudolph, I thought. But wait, there was only one reindeer. Where was Donner and Blitzen and all the rest? I could hear the jingle of bells and the dragging of a heavy chain as the thing lumbered toward our chimney. Something wasn't right. I wasn't excited. My hope for St. Nicholas was fleeting. And if I'm being completely honest, I was scared. There was something eating at the back of my brain. Some animalistic survival instinct that was telling me to run upstairs and hide under the covers and never come out. I started to tremble, staring at the fireplace. That's when I heard a voice. It echoed lowly down the chimney. It was crusty with black soot. I can't see you, little Timmy. But I know you are near. I can taste your dread by the salt of your tears. You have been a good boy, so we have never said hello. For now, I only pay you a visit, like the passing snow. You humans call me Krampus, from your father's word for claw. Keep being naughty, and you will feel them saw. You see, my brother St. Nicholas brings sweets for you, good lot. My reward for you naughties is inside my dinner pot. When you are foolhardy and your fear goes down the drain, I'll let you choose how you're beaten, by switch or by chain. For my rusted bell chain I drag close by my side. My bundle of birch switch will cleave flesh from your hide. But these tools of my trade are all in good fun. For the baddest of baddies, I catch as they run. I scoop them up fast and into my sack. I revel in their screams as they are slung to my back. Then off I bound to the coldest cave in the north. These baddies will do no more bad henceforth. Hung from my chimney by pike or by hook, they wait in line for time with their cook. As I search for inspiration, they squirm on the butcher block. A pot pie, a dumpling, perhaps batty stuffed brat. With a sprig of thyme and a pinch of clove, the only warmth they will know is my pot belly stove. <laughs> Then, there I sit with my belly filled to the brim. I wait till next Christmas Eve, in the dark, with a grin. Fear not, young Timmy, 
For now, this is just a warning. This will be but a faint nightmare in the light of the morning. But if we meet again this time next season, I don't think I will need to tell you the reason. <laughs> Merry Christmas. I stood there, trembling in the light of the Christmas tree, frozen. Did that really just happen? Was that real? Then I saw something jump on top of Mark Mortensen's roof. I could only make out a heavy cloak with a large sack on its back. Something moved inside. The large creature leapt to Mark's window ledge gracefully and slipped into Mark's room. Mark's light came on only for a second, then clicked off, and the thing was back on the roof. It turned and looked at me. I hid behind the drapes as it took off its hood and showed me its long horns. The creature grinned and wagged a long, clawed finger at me, then leapt off into the night. No one ever saw Mark again, and I, needless to say, was a good kid from then on, and I never stayed up late on Christmas Eve. Ever. Oh, that Krampus, always so generous. He even bought some goodies to our Christmas party. Two fruitcakes and a roasted Mark Mortensen with a side of horseradish cream. <laughs> but oof... I'm going to have to wear my eating pants. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed our Yuletide episode. Have a very scary Christmas and a happy new fear. Sweet dreams, my little cadavers. <laughs> you've made it through the night. Congrats. Let's get going before that changes. The five stories you've just heard were written by Will and Jessica Martinez. Tonight's episode starred Todd Lights, Gogo Lomo David, Fiona Dorn, Amy Kirsten, Andrew Arnett, Mary Catherine Greenewald, with editing by my younger brother, Martin Martinez. I believe you can find your way home from here. Until next time, farewell.